0: Thank mm-hmm. you.
1: Studio Presents, a music and talk show where your host, Darren Roebuck, is joined by a variety of artists, scientists, entrepreneurs, and therapists, as they share what's on their minds and give you new ideas and practices to help you get the most out of being you. Can you dig it? Be sure to visit deeporbitstudio.com for links, show notes, and more. Now sit back and take in the view while we blast off into Deep Orbit. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Deep Orbit Studio Presents. I'm your host, Darren Roebuck, and today I don't have a guest. But I did that on purpose because I wanted to start what I hope is the first of very many travelogue episodes. I was down recently in southern Baja, California, in Mexico. Uh, Baja is split into two states, Baja, which is in the north, and then Baja Sur, which is in the south. And uh, many people may know of Cabo San Lucas, which is at the very southern tip of Baja, California. Uh, I flew into that airport, which is an easy airport to navigate and get around. Now, a lot of people just don't go beyond Cabo. Cabo is a fun place. It's a good time. There's lots of resorts, but uh, it's the resort experience. So, you know, if that's what you're looking for, to sit by the, the pool and sip cervezas and just watch the waves break, then Cabo is a great place to go. However, if you really wanted to get into what real Mexico is like, and want to do it in a way that is relatively safe, comparatively speaking, uh, enjoy some very rugged country, some very authentic and wonderful local people, and see some countryside that is, well, you just won't see it anywhere else, then um, I suggest getting off the beaten path a little. Take uh, Mexico Highway 19 north out of Cabo which is uh, what I did with uh, my friend and uh, oftentimes guest on the show, Dr. Northcote, Dr. Kent Northcote. He picked me up down there in his camper uh, from the Cabo Airport. And we drove north about 60 miles to a little town called Todos Santos. Todos Santos has its roots in uh, fishing and ranching. Um, It's also becoming a burgeoning art community it's a very, dare I say, real place. The locals are cool. They're the authentic Mexico and they're very nice people. They're very welcoming, Uh, especially if you speak some Spanish, boy, that gets you a long way down in that part of the world. Um, and we did some stuff that was some of the typical stuff and we did some stuff that was atypical stuff. Um, our first day after being Uh, Well, after getting picked up and driving up to Toto Santos, we actually stayed in a little RV park that is run by uh, a lovely expat um, who was charging us six dollars a night to stay there. Um, And they had reasonably clean bathrooms with showers, which is always a nice thing when you're uh, quote unquote roughing it. We weren't exactly roughing it in uh, this camper, but uh, we were certainly... Uh, off the grid and doing our own thing in that respect. So it was wonderful to be there. It was very safe. Uh, the other people there were a lot of fun. Uh, there were some scraggly dogs running around that were, uh, you know, trying to steal our shoes, but also trying to play with us, too, and that was a good time. Uh, we walked around the town of Toto Santos, which, like a lot of little Mexican towns, it's a paved road going in. There might be another paved road crossing it, and every other road is a dirt road. Uh, but if you get on those dirt roads and walk around, you find some of the coolest places. And I immediately started feeling, feeling the connection that that part of the world is like if Burning Man was a, was a country, it would be Baja. It's a place where you can show up however you like, as long as you're cool. It doesn't matter what you wear. doesn't matter what your store or restaurant looks like. It doesn't matter really about anything, just as long as you show up as a friendly, helpful part of the community. So we were finding little torturillas and little markets and little ice cream place and little taco stands that, you know, if they were in the United States, it certainly wouldn't have passed health code. But, you know, it doesn't matter. I think the United States is way too clean for its own good. And places like that, you know, it allows small families to essentially just live in their little place on their patio. They'll serve tacos to people for what I think with the exchange rate, it was like a dollar 20 each, uh, maybe a couple of cervezas as well. And people can live that way. It's uh, it had a very wholesome community uh, aspect to it, which I really appreciated, not to mention as I said before, everybody's just so friendly down there if you 're willing to give them a ch- give them the chance uh, and like I said too, any Spanish you try to use is welcome, and they really appreciate the fact that you try um, but for those of you that uh, have been down to Baja and maybe even Southern Baja and have looked to the east um you'll see that there's a spine that runs down the center of Baja. And the uh, spine is actually comprised of 138 granite outcroppings. That basically, when the plates were subducting right there at Baja, uh, at, the, at that fracture line where the, the, where the plates connect, uh, sometimes there'd be gaps, and the magma from below that would seep up And it was always the least viscous, the runniest magma would come up. And that was the granite. So it would make these essentially they're like granite bubbles that would pop up or like on a geographic or a geologic scale. They're like droplets. And each of these forms the spine. Now, a good example of uh, one of these would be uh, Yosemite. Uh, Yosemite is made basically the same way. But then also there was glaciation there that sort of carved out the valley and made uh, uh, some of the magnificent rock features in, in Yosemite. Um, but down in Baja, they form this big spine and the spine is about oh, five to six thousand feet high. And the center of it will be oh within 20 or 30 miles of the West Coast. Most people just notice it as the backdrop. No one really thinks to go up there. Most people are hanging out at the beach because the beaches are really great. Um, But for those that are adventurous uh, and fit enough to try and just looking for something that's a little bit different of a Baja experience um, as we were, we decided to go hike up to that ridge. So taking this camper and driving uh, 11 miles back into where the trailhead was up through I was calling it a a saguaro forest. It really is just this dense, beautiful Sonoran landscape. And in the low lying areas, it's relatively flat, kind of sandy. People would call it desert, but uh, it truly is Sonoran and it is rich with life, which is sort of the opposite to me of what a desert is. However, it's desert kind of plants and animals that are there. Um rugged, dangerous uh, place where you watch your step every step of the way uh, for rattlesnakes or cacti or, well, basically everything in there wants to kill you. But um, aside from that, if, as long as you're taking appropriate precautions, bringing lots of water, staying to the trails, it's a beautiful place to go. So we camped out at the end of the road, uh, basically where there was a gate across the road and feeling like we were really in the middle of nowhere. Uh, or in the middle of somewhere, naturally speaking, and we went to sleep in the camper. We woke up the next morning at dawn, and uh, the national bird of Mexico is the caracara. Uh, Caracaras are kind of like magpies. They're also kind of like ravens. Uh, They're uh, actually in the falcon family, but um, they're black and white with white heads and a, a black tuft, almost like a bad toupee on the top of their heads. Um, and they're very intelligent birds, and they were sort of hopping around our campsite. It's really neat to see these up close because they're rather elusive birds, and the second we started making any noise, they split. Um, So neat to see that stuff. I wish I was able to get a picture, but uh, by the time I opened the camper door, they were not interested in hanging out with us. But that was what I felt a good omen for the beginning of our day. So we take off walking down the the road that leads us to the trailhead now one of the unfortunate aspects or maybe one of the interesting and often colorful challenges of getting around in mexico is that directions and guidebooks aren't always what you think they might be they're certainly hardly ever what you want them to be and Requires some extra effort to follow through with them, or at least make sure that they work. Uh, We found that any directions we got, we wanted to verify with someone else. Even out of the guidebooks, they're not always right. Uh, And particularly since they had had a a hurricane down there uh, just a few months before, a lot of the signs, signposts, landmarks, things that people would give directions by, uh, disappear. So our day Started kind of funny in that respect, trying to get up that road. Uh, It was also funny in the respect that even the guidebook was off by a little bit. Now, we were ready to do what the guidebook was saying, which was about a seven-mile hike up to the ridge, seven miles back down. What they didn't say was that where you have to park your vehicle is a little over two miles away from the trailhead. Now, understand, too, that where you park your vehicle is still... Um, still about 500 feet of elevation, and we're going up to nearly 6,000 feet of elevation. So we're also going to be gaining a mile in our hike and also descending that mile as well. Turns out that what we thought was going to be maybe just slightly under 15 miles turned out to be slightly over 20. Um, I'm glad we had a good, good early start because it was nice and cool, walking underneath fig trees, um, past the yucca trees. Uh, Underneath lots of shade to begin with, which was really nice. And as we started to ascend, we come out of the shade into more of that Sonoran, Saguaro. Um, and continuing up and up as we started to gain elevation, it gains very quickly. Very steep incline, uh, but a very nice trail that uh, I felt was very safe and started giving us wonderful views of the ocean and the coastline. Well, by the time we got to the top, we could see hundreds of miles in almost any direction. It was really fantastic. Uh, and uh, the place where we went to was called La Sierra de Laguna. And what that means is the mountain of the lake. Um, for a long time, there was a lake at the very top of this mountain, a long kind of diamond-shaped lake. But about 100 years ago, one at, one part of that lake... Uh, eroded, and the lake drained out, which left behind a meadow. Well, after about four hours of what felt like very arduous stair climbing um, through some really elegant and amazing landscape, uh, seeing all sorts of birds, hearing animals, but not really seeing them, which was good because, uh, you know, a lot of the animals up there are kind of dangerous. Um, we finally got to the top of the ridge. We stopped there and looked around, and man, It's a view of a lifetime. What a great place to go. Now, granted, it's only for people that are fit and ready. You know, like to do a lot of hiking because it's steep and it's tough and you have to bring all your water and food. Um, But when we got to the top, it was worth it. And then we walked over that ridge and then down into that meadow. It was like a stunning oasis. If you've ever been to the Los Angeles area and seen the... Uh, the canyons, maybe around Hollywood or something, and the natural stuff that grows there, the different types of cacti, the different types of palm trees, uh, the different types of like banyan trees, fig trees, and a variety of other smaller undergrowth. Um, That's what this was like at the very top. And since Baja is about 2,000 miles south of L.A., or at least Southern Baja is, uh, it sort of makes sense that what what would be up high there is what's down low in, in Southern California. So I was seeing things that I was only used to seeing in people's gardens in that area. Uh, And seeing it growing wild was really amazing. And not only seeing it growing wild, but the whole place was so healthy and lush. And, you know, and that's not something that you'd want that would be words to describe a quote unquote desert landscape, but it really was. I mean, we were seeing these prickly pear that were just plump and juicy. I mean, almost oozing. They were so plump and just gorgeous. Nothing was dead. Nothing was hampered at all. And it just seemed like life was so abundant there that it was just, it was amazing. It had its own vibrancy and smell. It was just a magnificent place to be. Um, Not only that, it was shady and cool and even kind of dry, whereas down by the ocean, it was very humid and hot. It's a wonderful place to go. Um, and the only people that we saw up there were a couple of ranchers that sort of looked at us funny, like you go up there for fun. <laughs> but uh, but we did. Um, as we started walking back down, it was uh, a little easier going than going back up. And of course, the views were amazing. Uh, and like I said before, the the quality of the trail was fantastic. So we were just scooting our way down, but also conserving our energy, knowing that we had a long way to go. As we got about two thirds of the way down, uh, by this point, it's about two o'clock in the afternoon and it was getting pretty darn hot as we descended. So we decided to stop at uh, well, you'd see places where water had eroded all the soil down to the granite and made these great little streams that um, I've seen. If you've ever been uh, to Yosemite, you've seen streams like this or maybe even outside of Aspen. They have uh, streams that are similar too, where it's just water running across that white with black flecked uh, granite. So we stopped at one of these little streams for just a minute to soak our hats and try to cool off for a second. Now, of course, you know, they say in Mexico, don't drink the water. This was probably some of the best water there. But like any other place out in the woods or, you know, uh, out in nature these days, of course, you got to iodize the water or boil it or anything. So we dropped a couple tablets into uh, a couple liters of water and hung out for a little bit. Well, it wasn't even five minutes before all of a sudden I'm seeing these big shadows going by. And I was like, I thought it was my eyes playing a trick on me or the fatigue messing with my mind. And I look up. And there are a dozen vultures circling around us. I was like thinking to myself and saying to to Kent, I was like, you know, I, was like I guess obviously they're used to humans not lasting very long out here because they clearly honed in on us right away. They saw a stop and were like, oh, good, a snack. Um, but we moved around enough and they noticed that we were still alive. And so they took off which was kind of funny made me really glad I had my camel back made me really glad we also had our iodine tablets but at this point we're only a few miles back, uh, away from the camper so we descended down through the heat back into that those, those tall trees and underneath that uh the growth that was there but I tell you you know as much as we didn't see animals walking along through that sandy path and what eventually led to uh, a road that the ranchers used we were seeing all kinds of tracks and the tracks we were seeing were s- uh, tracks of small cats. We're even seeing some scat of small cats. Uh, they they have a mountain lion down there, but sort of a smaller version. Uh, they have some bobcats that live down there. There's javelinas that live down there, which are like little small furry pigs. Um, there's uh, we were starting to see more birds. Uh, and also we were seeing big, colorful lizards and we could see their tracks because you'd see the little, almost like claw, like, like a bird foot type of tracks, but with a long trail that would go along where they where they drag their tails. Uh, and I was pointing these out to Kent as we were walking along, saying, "Hey, you see that? Do you know what that is? Do you know what that is?" And then he was like, "Well, what what's that?" And he looked down at this one wide, like inch and a half wide swath that just went across the the path and was a little a little S curve, and I was like that's a rattlesnake. (laughs) And it really brought back home the fact that we are out in a rugged, tough landscape. So we just were mindful of the grass areas. We walked in the middle of the path. We kept our eyes peeled on that. And, you know, the the trick with rattlesnakes in particular and other snakes is just don't startle them. Don't do anything stupid like walk off the trail. And if you see one, just stop. Just stop give it plenty of room to do its own thing. So we were seeing lots of tracks. We finally did see one, but it was a long way off in, uh, in the distance, and it was much more interested in doing whatever it was doing and uh, just sort of scooted off the trail. We uh, finally, after what felt like a really long time, and the last two miles on that road, I have to tell you, felt like the, the toughest hike of my life. Um, we finally made it back to the camper. And I tell you, you've probably heard this before, but that first sip of that cerveza after such a long, long walk in the woods or the desert or Sonoran landscape as this was, that couldn't have been more amazing. And to sit there with a good friend and look back up at the top of that ridge and see that we had walked all the way up and back and through that that brutal landscape. But on an amazing day, it was one of the most rewarding experiences. So I tell you, if you go down to Baja, take take some time to get away from the touristy areas, take some time to get away from the resorts, take some time to get away from town. And you don't have to do anything that's as huge as what we did, but take a little time to do some hiking. It is worth it. The interior of Baja is an amazing place. So that's the end of that story. And that was, our day, that was day one, and I'll tell you a little bit more here in just a second. But uh, the musical selections for, uh, for this episode are the songs that were stuck in my head during that period of time. And they were, they were sort of my musical companions, and it uh, has absolutely nothing to do with Baja. It was just what was with me, and so I'm going to give you that little taste of my adventure. <laughs> Welcome back to the Baja episode here of Deep Orbit Studio Presents. I'm Darren Roebuck. I'm telling you about my recent trip to Baja, Mexico with uh, Dr. Kent Northcote, who's uh, been on the show a number of times. If you look back at the uh, the list of shows on deeporbitstudio.com, and uh, we really had a fantastic time. Now, you know, in the first segment there, I talked about that really awesome hike that we went on. Um, and I can't really say enough about that, but you know, what I really wanted to do when we, uh, decided to go to Baja was to hang out on the coast because, uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California and I'm a surfer and I know that there's tons of surfing down there and I just really wanted to explore that coastline. So we drove down to, um, this cool little beach called Playa de Cerritos. And it's actually a very populated place with a couple of little resorts. One's a cabana resort, one's this beautiful new hotel, but built in a mission style. And we went there because it was an easy place to get boards and it was uh, just easy access. And we felt like that would be pretty cool to do, especially after having such a physical adventure going up into the mountain there. So we rented a couple boards down there. And I gotta tell you, for anybody that's a surfer and wants to go to Baja, Bring your own boards. The boards they have there are the ones that people throw out. And the board rental people, they just scavenge for these boards. They patch them up the best they can. It's just a ragtag selection of stuff. Um, you know, as we walked by one guy's selection of boards, uh, I was judging them by how many times they were broken in half. And for those of you out there that surf, you'll know that if you break a board in half and then fix it, it's never the board it used to be. It just never is. And some of these were broken three or four times and fixed. So um, for those of you that are experienced surfers, want to go down there to really enjoy the coast uh, and some of the amazing surf breaks that uh, Southern Baja has to offer. Bring your own boards. Not only that, come up with, um, if you fly down with your boards, make sure you get a rental vehicle that is four-wheel drive, because if you get a two-wheel drive vehicle, you're going to get stuck going to some of the coolest places. We had four-wheel drive, but we didn't have boards, so we figured we'd go to this place, Playa de Cerritos, um, just so we could have some fun. And we did. We rented a couple of boards, a couple of these little ragtag things that actually weren't so bad. Uh, We paddled out at the place that uh, has a lot of beginners. And uh, Kent is not an experienced surfer, so I figured we'd take it easy on the first day. Uh, We paddled out to a little point break right below the big hotel that was really cool. And the locals there were really nice. A lot of the uh, gringo surfers that we met there were really cool. Everyone is really uh, the lineups are not heavy with attitudes at all. Everyone's just pretty cool. Uh, the one downside I have to say to that beach is that that it is the place where people go to learn to surf. So the brand new beginners getting in the surf classes show up there. And the problem with that is uh, they're in the way. Um, Every wave I took off on on the first day, I had to pull out because there were beginners in the way. And, you know, a lot of surfing is knowing about where to be and where not to be and knowing how not to uh, be in the way of the people that are riding the waves. And of course, when you're learning to surf, these are all things that unfortunately you sort of have to learn by doing. So if you're going to surf there, it's a good wave, but be patient. And what I found later was that the sunset session was the session because all of the uh, all the beginners were paddling out early. Their surf classes were at 9 or 10 in the morning and uh, but they're done by one or two in the afternoon. Um, once you get past around 3:30 or 4 and the winds shift back to being favorable again for the uh, the late afternoon, early evening session, man, some good waves to be had in that spot. Even cooler was while we were waiting through the middle afternoon, Uh, sort of heat and the onshore winds to die down. We were just kicking back at the camper, having a couple of cervezas and just, you know, reading books and watching the passers by. Uh, By the way, with a camper, you can just drive right up to the beach and camp. Nobody bugs you about it. Nobody uh, is going to try to charge you or tell you to get off their land. It's a wonderful thing. That's a big difference between Mexico and the United States is there's not that same possession of property. So uh, we were in a good spot. We were hanging out. Everyone was cool. I will say this always lock your stuff. Uh, Southern Baja is a relatively safe place, comparatively speaking to other parts of Mexico, but it's not without its uh, a bit of crime. Either way, sitting there in the afternoon on the first day, this guy shows up, uh, sort of a maybe he's in his mid 50s Mexican guy, uh, pulls up in this old, uh, it was like a Suzuki Samurai, like a little four-wheel drive Suzuki Samurai that had the roof cut off with a torch. So it was a super rough cut all the way around. It had three mismatch headlights, uh, all poking through a chicken wire grill. I was like thinking to myself that it was just such a cool thing to see this guy. You know, one of the things I love about Mexico, and I was sort of alluding to with the Burning Man statement is... People just don't have the same issues with appearance that they have in the United States. So this guy shows up and he's just cool, you know. And he's got his beater mobile, and uh, but more than anything, he just had this really great, friendly spirit. And he sees me sitting there in the under the awning of the camper and says, "Hey, you like oysters?" And I sort of raise one eyebrow and think to myself, "Well, yeah, um, but this seems a little funny." But okay, I'll I'll I'll. I'll bite the bait. Um, Sure. I like oysters. He's like, all right, we'll be back. We'll get you some oysters. So he and his uh, teenage boy, who I had to assume was his son, grab some gear out of the back of that Suzuki and just head off to the point underneath the hotel. Well, rugged, rocky point, like as you would imagine, anywhere on the West Coast from, well, basically the whole coast all the way down. But, you know, what, we, what you imagine of the Pacific coast of the United States and Mexico, rugged, rocky, wave slamming. These guys just walk off to go jump into the surf right there. I'm sitting there just sort of looking over at Kent thinking, well, we'll see what comes up here. About a half an hour later. They come back with this big bag of oysters. I mean, a big bag, like bursting at the seams of oysters. And the guy looks over at me and with this total pride on his face says, how many you want? And I'm sitting sort there of thinking, I have no idea how to respond to that question. I've never had anybody just dive into the ocean and pull oysters out for me before. <laughs> um, so I walk over there and I look at them and they're big, beautiful, Pacific oysters. And the uh, the sun is pulling out a little knife and just shucking them right there. Well, Kent's got really great Spanish skills. So he starts speaking to them in Spanish and I can understand better than I can speak. So I'm listening to them and he's basically saying, where'd you get them? How'd you get them? Um, And they they just dive in. They've been doing it for years. It's how they make their living. And they love it when there's gringo tourists because they charge too much. And the too much was a dollar each. Perfectly okay to support the local economy in that way, I imagine, or I'm feeling. So, uh, so we pull out some pesos, we pull out some cervezos, and we hand them all around. And these guys, right on the back bumper of this, this beater Suzuki samurai, shuck us some oysters, pull out the limes and the hot sauce, and we sit there and, and eat these things just right there in the parking lot. I know what, I know you're anticipating what I'm going to say. The best oysters I've ever had. And, you know, oysters are different all around the world and in different parts of the U.S. Those specific oysters are amazing. They are amazing. And these were 10 minutes out of the water. Wow. What a treat. And as uh, um, luck would have it, Kent knew the best way to eat them. And I'll tell you this. This is something you got to do next time you get an oyster, an oyster in the half shell, is you take a little bite out of one end of it. And maybe you drink out the salt water that's in there. Maybe you leave it in. It's up to you. And then you squeeze in a little bit of the lime juice. And you shake in a little bit of the hot sauce. And then you just sort of poke at the oyster a little bit. And what it does is it acts like a sponge. And it sucks all of that fluid into itself. And when you finally eat the whole thing, it's just infused with all of that lime and hot sauce and a little bit of the salt from the seawater. And it is outrageously good. Wow, what a treat. Standing there in the parking lot, eating oysters that people had just pulled out of uh, the ocean. And they're sitting there sharing cervezas with us and some good laughs, sunshine. What an awesome experience. And, you know, you just can't have that in the U.S. because, well, we have too many rules here. So, in the relative lawless country of Mexico, you can do stuff like that. And it's cool. And, wow, what an awesome experience. So... That's the Oyster Experience. After this next tune, I'm going to tell you about the whales.
0: Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low Cause there's a million ways to go You know that there are You can do what you want The opportunities are. And if you find a new way You can do it today You can make it all true you can make it undo, you see, ah, it's easy, ah, you only need to know, well if you want to say yes, say yes, and if you want to say no, say no, cause there's a million ways to go, you know that there are. And if you want to be me, be me And if you want to be you, be you Cause there's a million things to do You know that there are You can do what you want The opportunity's on And if you find a new way You can do it today You can make it all true And you can make it undo You see Ah, it's easy Ah, you only need to know Well, if you want to sing out, sing out And if you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are 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 You know that there
1: are are. All right, all right. Welcome back to the Baja episode of Deep Orbit Studio Presents. So as I mentioned before uh, the last song, whales. Well, one of the real treats and one of the real draws to Southern Baja in January is the gray whale birthing season. California gray whales make their long migration from the cold waters of Alaska all the way down the West Coast down to uh, Bahia Concepcion, which is just this hook shaped bay a little bit north of uh of Toto Santos. Well actually it's probably by car, it's actually a long way because of the the way the roads go. Uh, by boat, it would probably be about 70 or 80 miles. But all along down there, uh, in this bay, outside of the bay, even around the uh, the tip of Baja there at uh, uh, Cabo San Lucas and up into the Sea of Cortez, gray whales are giving birth to their young. What a magnificent event this is. The sea is alive with whales. Whales are everywhere. And not only that, they're having fun. The whales are having a little whale party. So after our oyster experience, we uh, decide to go uh, on a little photo safari around the, the point. And we're below the hotel. We're in the in the tide pools. We're taking pictures. Everything's pretty cool. We finally decide that we're gonna go up to the terrace of this hotel, uh, where we could see that they had a bar. and We're gonna you know have a order a cerveza, sit there and enjoy the view. So we go up there. We meet the bartender. He's really nice. We hang out and we learned. The day before, actually, or two days before that, if you go up to one of these places in the middle of the afternoon and you just sit and gaze out in one direction, you'll start to see whales. And what you see in the mid afternoons is the juvenile whales are playing. And what they do is they just start to leap out of the water. Uh, An activity called breaching where they just jump up and splash down. And you see them also like flip their tails up in the air and like whack them around and wiggle them around. It's not the same as the adults when they're about to dive deep and, and their flute comes up. This is just young whales playing. And we uh, met a couple from Wisconsin and we said, hey, have you seen any whales? And they said, no, we've been here for an hour. And I was like, oh, well, that's too bad. So while we're sitting there looking out for the next hour, we saw over 20 breaches in a row wow. We did this on two separate days as well in different spots. We just sit there and gaze out over the water, which is nice enough in the middle of the afternoon, and then seeing gray whales just leaping out of the water, maybe, you know, a mile to two miles out from shore. So it's very easy to see them, although they're distant, kind of hard to take pictures. But man, what an amazing sight to see these massive animals just leaping out and showing this power and splashing down. Well, if you're interested in whales, there's so many uh, whale watching options down in uh, southern Baja. And if you go to Bahia Concepcion, there's whale watching boats where you can just coast right up to the whales and you can uh, see uh, the babies and they're curious and they're friendly. And uh, it's just such an amazing thing to look into a whale's eye and see it looking back at you. That's something that, even if you're not a sea person, you're not interested in the ocean, it's something that just put on your dramamine patch, go out there and check it out. It is magnificent. And to see the babies, you know, a baby that's the size of a freaking sedan, um, roll over on its side in the water and with his big eye that's the size of a grapefruit, just look at you. And you can see that there's no malice in that eye. You can see that there's just curiosity and friendliness and like they, you can just sense that it poses no threat and it knows you pose no threat. And it's just this beautiful, friendly, natural experience that it just can't explain what it feels like in words, but it is so cool. Um, now, if you're really adventurous, you'd want to go over to Loretto or La Paz on the Sea of Cortez side and either bring your sea kayak with you or rent a sea kayak. And now, granted, this is something to do if you have some experience with sea kayaking. Paddle out into the calm waters of the Sea of Cortez and you can see blue whales. You can see fin whales. And these things are massive. They dwarf the gray whales. Um. And you can see them out there just swimming around, coming up to the surface, you know, and they're all, of course, they're, they're gi- uh, giving birth at the same time too. Um, talk about a whale fiesta. You can get up close and personal with these things that are the size of a city bus. Um, now, granted, they may not be seeing you or, or being interacting with you. They sort of just pass by like they're the, extre- the express train. Um, but if you want to see a big critter up close, that's a place you can do it. Um, and I'll tell you, it is worthy for the adventurous spirit that likes to get into the water. That is one of the experiences that you just can't have anywhere else in the world. Uh, highly recommended. Um, and so many options, you know, you can Hire a fishing boat to go out There's special whale watching boats And even if you don't want to leave shore There's plenty of places, like I said Just sit on the veranda of a hotel It's right on the, on the coast there Have yourself some uh, tacos and cervezas And just gaze out And you see tons of whales with, Really without even trying um, Absolutely worth it To be down there and see that stuff So next up I'll tell you about something that happened that was super rare
2: We take a walk, the sun is shining down Burns my feet as they touch the ground
1: Alright, welcome back to Deep Orbit Studio Presents. This is the Baja episode, and I know you were waiting through that last song with bated breath for the rare thing that happened. What could it have been? Well, one of the great things about Baja in in January is that it is always sunny. It's always sunny. Like... So always sunny that it never rains. Um, the El Nino currents, uh, which, you know, have a five year cycle, may cause a little rain once every five years. But as we were told, it actually had skipped a cycle and they hadn't had rain in January in 10 years. Well, guess what? It rained. Not only did it rain, it rained hard. Thunder, lightning, the whole nine yards. It was a big, booming thunderstorm, which was exciting. It was really cool. And to see those storm clouds coming in off the water, the deep purples and the color it turned, the sea, the shapes of the clouds. And, you know, right around sunset time, the light in the sky is like this, well, it's just sort of an unbelievable shade of purple that is silhouetting palm trees and the mission-style haciendas that are down there. Just unbelievable to see. Not to mention the air is fresh and clean-smelling. And it's like the, the smell, you know, before a storm comes in. It's almost sweet, like there's ozone in the air from the electrical activity in the clouds. Earlier in the day, we had thought that we would go to a different beach, someplace a little bit more remote, uh, maybe find some better surf, and just uh, have a bit of a different experience. Now, along the coastline there, there's um, wetlands, uh, reedy areas that are bird sanctuaries. Um, We thought it would be fun to go camp near one of those. We had also learned that near one of these places was a place where this one PhD student a few years ago had come up with this brilliant idea to save the sea turtles or to restore their population. So there's also this turtle hatchery that was there. Well, really, the sand is the natural hatchery. One of the problems, though, is that the turtles need when they're tiny and they're just like silver dollar size when they're born or they hatch. Um. They come out of the sand and they have to scurry across the sand to get into the water and a small, small percentage of these actually make it between birds and just exposure to the sun. Many of them die. Now, you add in uh, human predation to this as well as predation from other fish when the turtles are still small and you have a recipe for extinction and the turtle populations were definitely declining. So what one of these uh, students did was realize that when they would hatch in the middle of the day, they weren't making it. So what he would do, or he and, and a, uh, a couple of helpers, I mean, literally three people did this. They would scoop up the baby turtles. They would put them in these little holding pens. They're sort of like little, I don't know, it was like, like, like a big basket. It looks sort of like a little cabana, but just made out of thin pieces of uh, thatch or something. Um, And they would just hold these turtles until sunset. And then at sunset, they'd let them go. So then they wouldn't get uh, preyed on by the birds. They wouldn't get cooked in the sun and more of their numbers would make it into the water. And at that point, of course, you know, a lot of the fish are going to eat. Uh, The small ones, but a lot more of them survive. And as a result, in a short period of time, the sea turtle populations have been restoring all because of one person with a couple people helping and a good idea. Truly a cool thing to witness down there. Well, we had headed out to see this as well as the uh, the bird sanctuary. And I call it that it's not set aside for them. It's just a place where birds like to hang out. Uh, we went over there to uh, have a little have a good time. We, it, was all, it was also a good surf break right there, where we ran into uh, a couple of gringos from Southern California, and uh, we told them what we were up to, uh, which is always a good thing to do when you go to a new place in that part of the world. Talk to the locals, introduce yourself, be friendly, say hi. You'll learn stuff, and boy, were we glad we did, because we found out that that area. It was remote. It was beautiful. It had some good surf. There was, uh, you know, some haciendas around and some little farms. Uh, But we also found out that some of the locals there were a little crazy and they were crazy in the machine gun toting kind of way. Good to find out. Mexico isn't always safe and it's good to ask around. So we found that that wasn't such a good place to camp. We also found that the federales, the local police down there, weren't always very fair to people that were camping out in such remote places. And unfortunately, that's one of the downsides to Mexico. Sometimes the police think for themselves. And we had heard some stories about them extorting money out of of campers. Not to scare you away from going down there and camping at all, but pick your spots. If you're at all worried about that stuff, stay closer to the resort areas, and there's plenty of beach to camp out amongst those areas. So we thought, okay, let's just head back down to Toto Santos and let's check out some of the art galleries and regroup and figure out where we want to stay. Well, that was when the storm rolled in, so it couldn't have been better timing. Because camping out in the in the wet sand would have sucked, and as a result we got to walk around this great little town where there's tons of art galleries some really interesting locals interesting expats uh, some tourists and we had actually met a couple down at the beach that we really got along with and we ended up running into them in the street so we piled around with them we had a wonderful uh, a wonderful lunch at this one woman's little it was just sort of a patio that had a bar and she Well, for lack of a better word, was a Mexican witch. She had row after row of jars of every type of herb, bark, root, everything natural. And if you told her what was wrong with you, she'd make a tea that would heal you. Or so she believed. So a lot of people believe. And I know a lot of that stuff really does work. But aside from that, she was just this nice lady. And once we started speaking to her in Spanish and she realized that we weren't just tourists um, or the average tourist, I should say, uh, she started being really generous. And she was, you know, when we ordered two tacos, she'd bring us three. And she had actually found beehives and harvested the royal jelly from the inside which is really excellent stuff for your immune system and for it's one of the brain boosters. Um, It's just great for general health. And she gave us all little samplings of it. It was really nice. And she was a sweet lady. It was a great cook. And her place was off the beaten path. And I tell you, get off the beaten path. Go to the places that don't seem like that seem almost a little scary because they're worth it. This place was great. We went back four days in a row. So on this day, it was our fourth day. Had a wonderful lunch there, walked around, saw some more galleries, and then, in a break in the storm, decided to go find another beach. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Back to the Baja episode. Okay, so we finished our lunch at uh, that wonderful lady's little little restaurant. We see a break in the storm, and the sky was looking amazing. And we thought, let's go to the beach. Let's get some uh, some groceries, which we we're able to buy right off the street. Some uh, wonderful avocados and tomatoes. And I tell you, the street food there, you know, as much as in our everything has to be clean. U.S. kind of way or European kind of way, um, it's the best stuff down there um, Buy the local stuff. It is organic. It is tasty. It is picked when it's ripe. It's way better than what we get in the supermarkets here in the States. So we picked up some of these. We picked up some fresh tortillas that had been made uh, by a local tortilleria And we jump in our vehicles and drive out to get to a beach called San Pedrito Beach cool little spot. If we could have got to it, unfortunately, like as I was saying before, sometimes directions down there aren't always accurate. One of the unfortunate aspects, or I shouldn't say unfortunate, but one of the things you have to deal with down there is the fact that the tourists and the locals live in the same geographical area, but they live in totally different worlds. The locals don't go to the beach. The locals don't go hiking. They do their own thing in their own part of the world. So when you ask them directions, they want to be helpful, but they don't always know exactly how to get there. Or maybe the last time they were at the place you were going to was 10 years ago. And so they don't know how things might have changed. And trust me, things change. And the hurricane that had come through had definitely changed some things. So when people say... Just drive down the highway for a couple of kilometers, and then when you get to this one sign, hang a right, and it'll take you right out to the beach. Well, that's all well and good if the sign was still there. <laughs> but a lot of times the signs weren't. Or they'd say, go to this one building, turn right, and it'll take you right out to the beach. Well, okay, great. The building was there, but when we turned and went down, we saw that some farmer had, started pl- had been planting in that area and had put a fence across the road. Well, we try three times. We finally get some good advice. We drive down the road to get to where uh, you can just drive out onto the sand. But when we got there, I found one of the truly disappointing things of that part of the world. And that is the gringo money infusion. Uh, Wealthy people from the States who come down there to build a mansion on the beach, which is cool, except for the fact that they just don't care about anybody else's good time. And what we had found was that this one place in particular, they had built this big compound and they built it right over the road and right over the access to the beach. They literally cut it off for everybody. And it's just that, oh, we've got the money. It's ours. But they had no sense of community. They have no sense of other people enjoying that area. They have no sense of the people who just want to explore and see part of that coastline they just took it away from everybody and that was the one that was the only time I really had any bad vibes at all on the trip was seeing that and thinking man it's just like Malibu here it's just people with a lot of money coming down and just thinking because they have the money and they can buy that lot that they can take it away from everybody else it really made me upset however It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful evening. There's a break in the storm. We're seeing the beautiful purple clouds like I had mentioned before. We're seeing, we're getting the smells and you can basically taste the air and it's just wonderful. We're driving past organic farms. I mean, when you go past an organic basil farm, when all the basil is about ready to be picked, there's nothing better smelling in the world. I mean, what a magnificent thing to encounter. And this was just down a dirt road going towards the beach. Well, along that same dirt road, as we were going back and thinking, well, what do we do? We came across this organic farm. And man, what a great place that was. We pull into their driveway and the organic farm had been laid out sort of in these concentric rings, almost like, uh, well, like there's the the Buddhists and the Catholics, too, have sort of this similar thing where it's like a maze and you walk back and forth. And if you have a problem when you enter the maze and you walk back and forth on all these little serpentine paths that sort of form concentric circles, um, by the time you get to the center, you will have solved your problem. Well, they had laid out their, uh, their farm um, in this manner. So you're walking in through the middle of all of these concentric rings where you can see where they can access all of their plants and it's gorgeous looking. And you walk up to what would look like a fruit packing area where it's a big concrete slab with a roof over it, but no real walls. And that was the restaurant. And at this place, they served all organic food that they had grown there. All local fish that had been caught right there, just, you know, a mile from this place. They had uh, organic Mexican wines, a lot of labels of which aren't imported into the States. And I tell you, the stuff is amazing. Mexican wine is so good. And if for those of you uh, wine enthusiasts out there, look for, um, look for wines from Santo Tomas. That's one of the great uh, little towns that it looks kind of like Napa Valley. Um, And they produce some amazing stuff there. Not a huge region, but it's a worthwhile region. So we go into this place, and it really felt like we were in Napa or Sonoma County. It was just beautiful, beautifully well-kept. It was clean, elegant, totally a classy spot. But it's outside. It's casual. The food was to die for. Wow. Amazing. And even with the wine and appetizers and big fish dinners... It was something like $15 a piece. I mean, for a, you'd easily expect to spend twice or three times as much in uh, the wine country in the United States. What a treat. So we got cut off from going to the beach and having our little picnic out there. But man, did we ever find a cool spot as our backup plan. So the four of us after that decided, well, it's raining. Uh, the couple that we were with wanted to go back to their hotel, and Kent and I decided that we weren't going to camp on the beach, so we figured we'd camp out in the parking lot of their hotel, which was actually very nice. It was right on the beach. It was uh, a dirt parking lot, but it was raining. So driving down the hill to the the hotel, it was cool. It was not, uh, but it was muddy, and as we got towards the bottom, it was really muddy. To the point that we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get out of there. And our friends who were driving just their little compact rental car, I was really fearing for them. But they were going to be there for another couple of weeks. So I wasn't too worried for them. Well, we hang out with them for a little bit. We sit in the hot tub at their hotel. And then we decide to hit the sack because I had to catch an early flight the next morning. Throughout the night, it was this wild thunder and lightning. Just Booming, And you could hear waves crashing and the thunder and the rain. It was really awesome. And it was awesome because we had the good shelter of the camper. In the morning, however, we wake up and this dirt parking lot and then what's now an uphill climb on a dirt road to the highway was very muddy. And one part of it right where the parking lot met the road. It was a mud puddle. Now, the rig we had was built on a Ford F-350 diesel platform with uh, four-wheel drive, big wide wheels, um, uh, a big lift kit. It's like a ready-to-go-anywhere kind of thing. And Kent looks at me with a a look of trepidation on his face, and I looked at him, (laughs) and I just said, put your foot down and don't let it up. So he steps on it, and we start plowing through this muddy puddle. This big old rig of his is slipping and sliding both directions. It's just, you could tell the wheels are just scratching to try to get any traction they can. And little by little, we slithered our way through that puddle and started making it up the road. Oh boy. It was a tense moment and we really didn't want to get stuck there. I looked back at the little cars that were in the the parking lot of this hotel and thought, man, they aren't going anywhere. And they weren't. I tell you, if they were going out, they were walking and they were going to be walking up to their knees in mud. But we made it out. And uh, Kent was driving back over to the east side of the peninsula to a town called Loretto, which I'll talk more about later. Or maybe we'll have him talk about that because it's his favorite place down there and it really is great. He drops me off in Toto Santos to catch a, uh, a shuttle back down to Cabo San Lucas to the airport. And so we shake hands and say goodbye. He takes off to Loretto. I get into the uh, the shuttle van, and as we drive down, we're in another break in the storm. And once again, Baja provides visual magic, rainbows, everywhere. Wow. The desert, the sea, the clouds, and bright, vibrant rainbows. What a beautiful send-off. And what a, it was definitely Baja's little hug to me, and, the, and it's saying, come on back sometime. I tell you, I love it down there, and I hope you guys get a chance to go down and check it out yourselves, because it really is cool. In the show notes, I'll post a couple of pictures so you can get an idea of what I was talking about. And uh, I thank you once again for listening to Deep Orbit Studio Presents, and we'll have some more stuff coming for you pretty soon. Take care, everybody.
3: Please don't dominate the rap, Jack. If you got nothing new to say, if you please go back up. still I don't know but I've been told it's hard to run One step done and another begun, and I wonder how many else I spent a little time on the mountain, spent a little time on the hill. Things went down, you don't understand, but I think in time you will. Now, I don't know, but I was told. In the heat of the sun, a man died of cold Keep on coming on, standing wait With the sun so dark and the hour so late to carry the load I don't know who's back that strong Maybe find out